Thank you for the hope of Zion City. Oh God, may we not forget the hope of what you have promised us. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would see the ramifications of what it looks like to live as those whose feet are firmly planted in Zion City. Lord, as we live in the already, but not yet, understanding the realities have been brought to us in Christ, but oh, the promises that are even yet to be fulfilled, that are ours because of our great high priest, the one who is supreme over all. Lord, I pray as we look at this passage that, God, it would encourage our endurance, that, Lord, it would, it would encourage our holiness. Lord, it would encourage our dependence, our Lord, it would encourage our walk in you completely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This morning we're going to look at verses 25 through verse 29. Verse 25 through verse 29. The title this morning is called Living as the People of Mount Zion. Living as the People of Mount Zion. Zion. And I want us to look at something right out of the gate because Hebrews is a book of many warnings. There's five warning passages, and we went through these, and, and now we're in our last one. And, and really, the last warning begins around verse 14. If you got your Bible and you look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me, we're going to read verse 25 to verse 29 in just a second, but I want you to see something. You go back to verse 14, and, and we see this. Uh, this exhortation of uh, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. You remember that passage that we looked at that begins the thrust of this warning. And as we move down into verse 25, it continues. I, uh, warnings are meant to get our attention. They're meant to call us to action. You know, warnings can take many different shapes. I don't know about you, but uh, it's, it's always horrifying when you get uh, an alert that, that a child is in danger, like an Amber Alert. And immediately, I, I hope that it causes all of us to pray, you know, for a child that may be in danger. It's just one of those sounds. Immediately, it gets your attention, and I always feel very un, just, just don't like it. Um, when you are at home, and I remember Ann was gone one time, and I had all of the, the children, and, uh, and, and there was a, and, and you know, the young ones are always really terrified of tornadoes. And, uh, and, and one that was on the other side of the county but nonetheless got into our warning system, and we live right near a warning siren. And it was like, it, there it went. You know, you could hear the warning siren, and I knew that we were okay as far as the map went. And I've got neighborhood people that I rely on about every three seconds, and I text them and ask how we're doing. And, and, uh, but there I was, and, and immediately, like Ben and, and Will were looking at me like, oh, no, it's a warning and it was just like pandemonium hit the house. There were tears. They were like, you know, trying to counsel everybody. What are we going to do? Are we getting in the car? It was late at night. You've been there. And uh, what are you going to do? And, and there was a warning. And, and the sense of a warning 
The idea is, if you do not take heed to the warning, you're going to have to deal with the consequences, right? Now, we know that in a tornado warning, there's not always consequences for the person who's hearing the warning. But in this case, this is a warning that God has given from the Holy Spirit that we must take heed to the warning. How do the warning passages serve for those of us in Christ? We've seen this throughout our study. The warning passages are like the rails on the highway that keep us moving down the highway. They ensure that we will keep going because the Holy Spirit uses the warning passages in a way to sanctify his people. And we talked about this throughout our study, but as Christians, when you come to a warning passage, it's not that you're in jeopardy now of losing your salvation, but it is a call of God to bring you into action. And the warning passages have a unique way of relating to the people of God. The Holy Spirit uses these to sanctify us. But the warning passages also call those on the fence. You see, if you're on the fence this morning, you're not in a safe place. You see, a lot of people have been inoculated with the false gospel, a gospel that is profession only. A gospel that says, if you sign this card, if you walk this aisle, if you prayed this prayer when you were eight years old, you need not even consider the state of your soul. That's a dangerous doctrine because the Holy Spirit calls us to recognize those who've experienced life through the Holy Spirit. They will manifest vital signs, spiritual vital signs of his grace. And when the heart is neglected and there's apathy to the things of God, the warning passages actually serve to call those on the fence. I've told you this before. I remember in Mississippi growing up, I used to always hear my dad talk about, people would talk about mugwumps. What's a mugwump? And a mugwump was what they said was a bird who sat on the fence with his mug on one side and his womp on the other. A mugwump. That's the way a lot of people view the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're in sometimes, they're out most of the time. It's sort of like a neutral ground, and, and, and it's as if the Holy Spirit in these warnings, even through the book of Hebrews, says, look, don't be deceived. There's no neutral territory. There's no indifference and apathy in this continuous state in the Christian life. So this morning, how are we to live? We see these warnings we're in the last of the warnings. So how do we live as the people of Mount Zion? Let's read verse 25 to verse 29 this morning. And, and notice as we read it, just the heart of the warning that he gives. He says in verse 25, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 
This morning, we're going to look at three exhortations to the people of Mount Zion. Three exhortations to the people of Mount Zion. Last time we talked about how if you live under Mount Sinai, it represents the law. It represents the old covenant. The old covenant, the old system. And remember that all of these contrasts in the book of Hebrews are written to Jewish believers. And he's calling them to see that don't focus on the shadow, focus on the substance. There's so many people even today and they misunderstand the Old Testament. It's almost like they're going back to Judaism to live out of their Christianity. And he's like, no, these are signs, these are shadows pointing to the substance. And what he says is, if you want to go back and you want to flirt with going back to Judaism, you're going back to a system and you're going back to an approach that can't earn your way to God. You are outside of the covenant of the blessing of God. But in Jesus Christ, He is our grace. He is our forgiveness. He is our hope. He's our mercy. And in his substitutionary work at the cross, we now have been brought to the city of Mount Zion. And under this covenant and under this mountain, on this mountain, we now have received the blessings of God in Jesus Christ. So we see this. And the first exhortation that we're going to look at this morning is simple, but it's profound. It's listen, 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 in that verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Have you been told to listen lately? I think a lot of you have. Um, I know I have. Sometimes, uh, have you ever been watching a basketball game, guys, or a football game, or just watching anything, and and your wife's talking to you, and, and then she asked the question, are you listening to me? And you're thinking at that point, what, what, what? yeah, yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening, I'm listening. The, uh, I remember growing up, I heard that a lot, often. Listen to me, Stephen, listen, listen. And I wouldn't be listening. I remember uh, I was coaching a team in Portland. We were terrible, but uh, we were improving some, I think, that year. And, and I had a kid, and, and he wouldn't box out. And, and I was so frustrated at this kid. He was a big kid. He just, uh, he typically had one more rebound than a dead man in a game. And uh, he never would box out. And I brought him out of the game one time and I said, what are you doing? You've got to box out. And I'll never forget it. He looked at me and he says, you've never taught me how. And I needed to be restrained at that point. I was like, I was moving away and, and my friend was on the bench. I was like, get in between us, get in between us. Don't let me look at him. I had taught that kid how to box out. He'd never listened to me, right? How many of us can relate to that? You know, I can relate to that kid because he's probably running a company. He was a really smart kid. He just wasn't good at basketball. But uh, I, 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 would, I would hear things, hear things, hear things, hear things and not listen. Listening in the scripture deals with hearing God's word, not just in the auditory level, but in a way that it affects our heart. And you take heed to what you've heard and you obey. Obey it. Listen, listen, listen. So many opportunities that we see that God calls us to listen. We can all relate to not listening But we need to see God's call here in this passage. See that you do not refuse. That phrase, see to it, see that you do not. It it really is the idea of 
you understand the urgency. Uh, one lexicon said it's, it's calling for continual close attention. Continual close attention. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the joys of the Christian life is realizing the difference in terminology for the people of the old covenant and the people of the new. And what do we see back in verse 19? Remember, they, they were horrified at the voice of God, and they begged that, that God would speak to them through Moses. But now, understand something. Under the new covenant blessings, the blood of Jesus speaks, it says in verse 24, and now in verse 25, he says, see to it that you don't refuse him who is speaking. So now he's saying, look, it's almost as if, look, under the old, there's no way to approach this consuming fire of God. But now our God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us in our place. And because he is the propitiation for our sins... Because he bore the curse, because he took the wrath that we deserve, now we not only can hear him speak, we're exhorted to see to it that we never refuse him speaking. Isn't that a blessing? I tell you, so many times you meet people that have been taught parts of the attributes of God and the way they approach the Lord in their day-to-day -day life as a Christian, I want to say, no, you don't understand. God has shown you kindness in Christ Jesus. And now we are to do what? We're to boldly, with confidence, enter in. We can enter in because of the blood of Christ. So see to it, this is an ongoing aspect of the Christian life that we're called to. It's a present imperative. It's a command in the present. It's ongoing. Um, I like what Spurgeon says. See to it means that they are to be very circumspect that by no means, accidental or otherwise, you refuse the Christ of God who now in the gospel speaks to you. I want to ask you a question this morning, and it's going to be easy to misunderstand the question. The question is, are you refusing the voice of God? Now, I'll tell you, we get into a lot of interesting things, and we dealt with this a little bit last Sunday night. God speaks to us in his word. When we come to the word of God, we are hearing God speak, and we have to recognize there's a direct link to refusing God speaking when we refuse what he's revealed to us in his word. What's our attitude? Are you indifferent this morning? Are you apathetic? I tell you, it's convicting, isn't it? Because I'm right there with you. Uh, isn't it convicting when we often consider things like, we'll consider our yard more than the things of God. We'll consider our finances more than the things of God. We'll consider our fitness more than the things of God. We'll consider what we're eating today more than the things of God. We'll consider the sports calendar more than we will the things of God. We'll consider work. We'll consider our temporal goals. But, but there, there's this calling that don't neglect your spiritual heart. 
Don't neglect your spiritual state. Don't neglect the things of God. And we have to be careful because the one common denominator of, of those that are refusing the voice of God is that they're deceived in their refusal. They're not people, if you said, hey, I mean, yeah, there's some people that their arrogance has reached a level that they would stand up and acknowledge their refusal. But what's so scary and what's concerning is that there are many who would never see that that's a reality. They wouldn't see it at all. To refuse is that idea of declining, refusing, avoiding, avoiding the voice of God. Let's think about how Hebrews has been saying this same message all the way through. Hebrews chapter two, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. In chapter 10, verse 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, that's not the verse I wanted. It's a great verse, but I did not want that one. Hebrews 3, 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Interesting, isn't it? I didn't put this in uh, my notes, but go back with me to Hebrews at the very beginning. Go all the way to chapter one. And when you get into chapter one, do you realize that the joy and the miracle of the new covenant is found in the opening of the book of Hebrews? And what does he say in verse one and two, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. <laughs> but look at this. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. That's the, that's the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.12, take care of brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Again, be careful. Watch out. Watch what you're doing. Guard yourself. All through the scripture, we see these warnings about hearing God's word. Jeremiah chapter 11, they have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. Notice that phrase at the end of the first sentence. They refused to hear my words. Don't refuse him who is speaking. We go into uh, Zechariah 7, the same idea. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. You remember at the, the, the amazing passage in Matthew 17, remember what the father says to the son or says there, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What's the last phrase? Listen to him. Jesus throughout the gospels if you go through and you just look at how he uses this phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is over and over and over throughout Matthew and Mark and Luke. You see it over and over and over. And, and when we get into the parable of the, 
soil, stand read the opening, and I want you to look at the explanation because we've got the pathway seed, we've got the rocky ground seed, we've got the thorny ground seed, or you could say soil in each one of these, but, but notice something, and, and I want you to again notice that each one of these types of soil heard. But what did they do? We go, we go into verse 15, and Jesus is giving the explanation to what Stan read earlier. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear what happens next, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And then we read, and these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, what happens? They immediately receive it with joy. Now, we're thinking, aha, this is legit. This is legit. They've heard. They're joyful, but not so fast. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Isn't it interesting because this one really applies to the audience that the book of Hebrews is written to, where there's some that are tempted to go back, and it's due to tribulation. It's due to persecution. I'll tell you, if, you, if you're in a church for multiple years, one thing you'll find is many people commit apostasy only when tribulation surfaces in their life. They're gung-ho the gospel. They're gung-ho Bible study. They're all about the things of God, but then something happens to their child. Something happens at work. Something happens in a crisis. And what takes place? The person who showed so much promise reveals a lack of a true root. We have this warning. And so, you've, again, you've got these warning passages that serve as a means of sanctification in the lives of the people of God. You're here today, and maybe you're thinking, man, I've been apathetic to the things of the truth of the Lord. And immediately, you're under conviction, but the Holy Spirit is working in you and calling you to do what? Stand firm, stand firm, keep enduring, keep enduring. And then there are those people that say, wait a minute, I'm not even in the faith. And the Holy Spirit uses warning passage to do what? To literally open their hearts to see the goodness of the gospel. So, so Jesus keeps going here. And I think the next one, and there are those along the path where the word is sown, they hear. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. I've already read that one. And then we go on and we get into, they endure for a while. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. Now look at these. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfaithful. They just love the world so much they can't move on with the gospel. I love being at church, but oh, do I love the world. And the world chokes away the very root or the thought to be root. You see what Jesus is doing here. You see what the author of Hebrews is doing here. You remember Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. We, we see this in James 1, being, a, being a, not just a hearer, but a doer of the word. And so what he's doing here is he's saying, look, understand the importance of hearing. But under this idea of listen, you see a lesser to a greater argument. Do you see what he does here? In verse 26, he says, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. When I first read that, I was confused. I was thinking, what is he doing here? What's going on? And, and, and if you stop and look at this, what he's doing is similar where he's done other places in Hebrews where he takes a lesser situation and he moves to a greater example. And in one commentary, he says, if men were held accountable for heeding God when he warned them on earth from Mount Sinai, how much more will they be held accountable now that he warns them from heaven, from Mount Zion? This is not the first time the writer has spoken with this severe tone. Woda. Remember Jesus' Woda Chorazine, Woda Capernaum? The miracles would have been done that were done here in Sodom. It's like Sodom was judged, but woe, the judgment's even greater when Christ is on the scene as the fulfillment of all that God has given. That now there's a greater accountability. That now that there, you've moved from the earth, you moved to heaven. That Sinai to Zion, there's this sense of, how much more are you responsible for what you have heard and what you're refusing? It's his argument. He, when we think about at that time, his voice shook the earth. I was reading in one commentary that really helped me with this, and he says, the ultimate seriousness of God's final revelation is highlighted by the contrast Hebrews draws between the shaking of the earth at Mount Sinai and the promise of a future shaking of the heavens as well as the earth. You remember the, the one he's speaking of at Sinai is in Exodus 19. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. But, but there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that speaks about a future shaking. When we think about that idea of a future shaking, Haggai chapter 2, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now, this gets really interesting because the, the gentleman I was reading out of the pillar commentary, he keeps going here and he says, this shaking that Haggai speaks of, it refers to coming judgment a coming judgment of God. When we look at these promises in the scripture of a future shaking, there's a shaking that takes place at Mount Sinai when we see the children of Israel at the mountain as the Ten Commandments are given. We see God's holiness and majesty on display in the shaking of that mountain. But we see in the scripture a promise of a future shaking 
that it'll involve not only the earth, but the heavens. Now, what do we have here? Isaiah 13, therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Listen to 34.4. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. You might be familiar with this one. This is one that's always stood out in my mind since I was a kid even. In 2 Peter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now notice, this is similar to the very thing that the author of Hebrews does. Peter does something similar. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? You could go to Revelation 6, 12 through 14. Revelations chapter 20, verse 11. But one thing that we see in this passage is that while the things of the earth are transitory, they're gonna pass away. What we see is there is a future promise of an unshakable kingdom. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I'll tell you, take excitement when you look at the bookends of the scripture. You start out and, and you see the declaration that this is God's world, that he created it for his glory. But you see that all that takes place in between Genesis 1 and Revelation 21 deals with sin. It deals with rebellion. It deals with people refusing the word and the truth of God. But it also deals with thanks be to God and Jesus Christ. It doesn't deal with men and women and boys and girls, you know, tightening up their, their bootstraps or pulling up their boots and getting strong and, and fighting this world and ethically living up to the demands of God's law. No, sin and rebellion is followed by what? Redemption. It's followed by the Lord Jesus Christ who stood in our place. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what do we see? Then from rebellion to redemption, we see a future promise of restoration, a restoration of the heavens and the earth, a new heavens and a new earth. So what is he doing here? He's saying, look, why would you refuse the one who is speaking? Not only are you dealing with the greater judgment, but you are losing sight that this world and the things you focus on here are passing away. But the things that he brings, the things that he's brought, that which is represented by Mount Zion will never pass away. Amen? I tell you, this is hopeful, hopeful truth. And it gets better. The second one is be grateful. The first exhortation is listen. Listen, how do people from Mount Zion live? They live listening to the voice of God, not refusing it. But they also live with gratefulness. But the key to understanding verse 28 is understanding the first word in 
the verse. What's it say? Therefore. You see a therefore. You got to know what it's there for. What is, the, what is it there for? The therefore is we have an unshakable kingdom. We have an unshakable kingdom. Look, therefore, in light of the fact that the earth is going to pass away, the heavens as we know it will pass away, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. What does he say? This is to now affect the way you live in the present. It represents all that God has promised us in Christ, an unshakable kingdom, all spiritual and all future blessings, all the promises that have given to us in Jesus Christ. It would include the hope of heaven, the hope of a new heaven and a new earth, all that God has done, all that he will do in Jesus Christ will never pass away. Wow, can you imagine if somebody would have set you down, said, hey, I need to meet with you this afternoon at Starbucks. I want to share with you what's going to happen in the world in the next three years. Back in 2018, I mean, you would have literally thought they'd lost their minds. But I want you to think of something, because I'll tell you some of the places that I'm tempted to despair. I'm tempted to despair. I mean, we have like, uh, there has been so many different different things that have happened through this pandemic. Through, through now, I mean, you look at what's going on in the world. We have literally, I don't know if you've noticed, but, but don't be shocked and just, yeah, there's a righteous anger, but don't be sinfully angry about it. When a society suppresses the truth of God and goes for unrighteousness, they embrace the nonsense that's happening in our world right now. I mean, it is unbelievable. I was sitting there yesterday watching sports, and it's almost as if they are like, look, this is the narrative. You must embrace it. Every commercial. It's like, this is what we teach now. This is how we've moved along. Catch up with us, right? But we, we, we have to be careful not to be in despair over that. It's sort of like we lose practical theology when we start misunderstanding that the scripture tells us how the world will act. And when we lose sight of that, we can turn into frustrated, despairing people. <laughs> but we have hope. We have hope. So, so whether it's the culture craziness, whether it's inflation and the fears people have, whether it's literally the impending thought of World War III and what could take place in the next 90 days, how are we to live in light of what the Word of God says? Of all the people on the planet, we should live because we know what's coming in the future. It affects us in the present. I tell you, the other day I came home and, Ellie, how are you doing? We were talking. I said, what have you been doing today? She goes, I've been doing ACT prep. And I was like, that's amazing because the only ACT prep I did was put on my jeans the morning I took the test. And I had, uh, <clears throat> I didn't even know there was such a thing as ACT prep. Show up, recognize how dumb you are, move on, accept it. <laughs> the, uh, I had already <laughs> received a scholarship to a, to a small NAIA college, Bruton Parker College, and it was such a highly esteemed academic institution, they didn't even have test requirements. So that morning, the last thing I said to my mom is I got out of the car at Macaulay. 
I said, please be back here at 12 o'clock. She goes, will you be done with the test? I said, I don't care. There's a football game that starts right after 12, and I want to watch it. She looked at me funny. I said, Mom, I've already got it made. I got a scholarship. I'm in school this fall. I didn't care what I got on the ACT. And I'll tell you later, I scored two touchdowns, and I went for the third touchdown, and I scored two points. That's what I got. But, uh, <laughs> the, but you know what? I had a view that morning different than anybody else in that room. I walked in, and I was as laid back as I've ever been, and everybody in there was a nervous wreck, not me. I was ready to leave at 12. I didn't care what I got on that test. I had, and I understand every analogy breaks down, <laughs> so we're not making a perfect illustration here, but I want you to know something. What I knew was coming had a drastic impact on me that morning. Let me ask you something. Is your response to what's taking place in the world any different than your lost neighbor? Is it any different than people who have no hope? Because what do we learn here? We have an unshakable kingdom, and he's given them something. Now, here's what's happening. What does he do? He transitions. How? Let me ask you something. I don't know about you, but it's sort of like when things are rocking along and, and I feel like circumstances are going my way, you think, man, this is the time to be grateful. But you know what? He's writing to people that have had their property plundered, and they face the very real prospect of facing martyrdom. And what does he tell him to do? He says, listen to the voice of God. Don't ever refuse it. And then that's in a present tense. This is the way you live. You live receiving it. You live submitting to it. You live by faith in it. But then he says, be grateful. Be grateful. Gratefulness has everything to do with where are your eyes focused? What are you looking at today? If you're looking at the worst of the worst of the temporal, remind yourself that the scripture says, that these things are going to be destroyed. Remind yourself that the things of this world will not sustain you. If you put your hope in an unshakable kingdom, we shouldn't be surprised when it doesn't deliver and it disappoints. But there's an unshakable kingdom. And he says to them, look, in light of the truth of this blessing that you've been brought to Mount Zion, you're no longer at Sinai. He says, therefore, live grateful. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I love this because this word here is phenomenal. It's the word grateful, it has the word grace within it. It's literally the word for grace. Therefore, be grateful. It's the same word. So if you looked at a lexicon and you went and said, okay, give me every verse where this word is used, most of the verses in the New Testament where this is used are translated grace. Be thankful. I love this because this is a response that can only take place because of grace. If you haven't received new covenant grace, don't expect to be thankful in the midst of life when it's low. But what do you see here? Be grateful. The word means to it's the word that, uh, it, just the thankfulness, it's, it's gratitude. It, it, it's, it's, that, it's, it's literally living life and you can't stop but thinking, God, you're so good to me. And I tell you, when you begin to see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit working that out in our lives, it's typically not just in the high moments, but it's in a moment where you think, this is not a normal time to be grateful. 
And what happens? It's all of grace. Same word used in 1 Timothy 1.12 when Paul says, I thank him. Same word, the word thank, grace. I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. It's used in 2 Timothy. I thank God whom I serve. Now remember something. When did Paul most likely die according to church history? At the ending of the letter that he penned in 2 Timothy. But what is he doing? Grace upon grace, enabling people in the midst of despair to come out of it and see the blessings of the promises of the future things that God will do for his people. I love this. You know, I was thinking about, it's also tied to the Holy Spirit working in us. Think about this. This, this is fun. Remember, the, uh, if you've been doing the fundamentals of faith study, when we studied the Holy Spirit and we studied being filled with the Spirit, we'll start in Ephesians. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And guess what happens if you keep reading there? It brings up thankfulness. Thankfulness is a manifestation of being filled with the Spirit of God. Look at Colossians 3. How are we filled with the Spirit? We're filled with the Spirit by submitting to the Word of God. We're, we're, now, I love this because there's so many biblical theological connections here. We are going to live grateful as we refuse to ever refuse the speaking of God, but as we submit to it, as we hear it with faith, as we hear it with a, with a desire to follow it, what happens? The Holy Spirit of God produces something in us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then what does he say? With thankfulness, same word, thankfulness. Where, where, where does thankfulness come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit working in us enabling us to trust in the promises of God. And he produces in us, so what does the author say? Listen to his voice. Be grateful regardless of your circumstances. What a barometer. One of the greatest ways to get a glimpse of your heart. Are you content or discontent this morning? Be real with yourself. Are you frustrated, negative, everything's wrong, nothing's right? It's a barometer, and it's a barometer, but here's the good news. If you're under the new covenant, it's an invitation to understand that only Jesus provides rescuing grace. If you're here today and you're just going, man, I'm the most unthankful person. I got this, I've got this, I've got this, but I'm just eating up over the fact that I don't have this. I didn't get this. That person didn't deserve this. I deserve that. This, 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 and it's like the gospel of Jesus Christ takes your eyes off of people, off of the circumstances of the world, and it enables you to see the glorious reality of a God who brought you from Sinai to Zion, to see the future promises of God. And it brings within you the ability, regardless of circumstance, to trust in him and be grateful, to be grateful. Praise God. This, this is... Uh, I tell you, I've, I've noticed that barometer reading so well because there's been so many times in my life when I've been ungrateful. And God's done a lot of surgery in my heart of revealing hard things to me. Can you relate with me? Where you start going, wait a minute, what does this reveal? 
What lie am I believing to get to this point? What's really happening behind the scenes? But then we, we keep going, and he says, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I love this because in the, the scripture, you know, in a sense, Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a reality that when the king reigns in our life, the kingdom has come, but we also see biblically in the scripture, the kingdom's yet future. But what's amazing is he's bringing this kingdom. It's in the present tense here, how he uses the passage. It's a beautiful yet further reminder that God has blessed us in Christ and it only gets better in the future. It just keeps getting better and better and better. A kingdom that cannot be shaken, it can't be moved. This world and its kingdoms will fall, but the kingdom of Christ has no end. But then the final one, offer up acceptable worship. Look what he does in verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with how? With reverence and awe. Question I want to ask you this morning, is your worship acceptable? You remember we talked about Cain and Abel, a great example of one man who brought that which was not acceptable because his heart was not in the right place. And another man who brought his offering reflective of the right heart. This morning, where are you at? This morning, you see, listening to God this morning could be your invitation of confession and repentance. It could be that you recognize not only are you refusing God and his voice in your life, but it could be that you recognize there's not gratefulness, you're more discontent than anything, and it could be that you say, my worship's unacceptable. It may not be the case, and if it is not the case, praise be to God for the grace that he provides in Jesus. Regardless of what it is, let's hear it and let's submit to the reproof of God's word because God reproves, but he also corrects. Reproof is when we're out of line with the will of God, but correction is when it's just like God taking a broken arm and, and straightening it. It's like that which God reproves, he can correct under the new covenant. So if your hope this morning is in Jesus Christ and you're his child, this morning as the Holy Spirit reveals whatever's going on, if it's sinfulness, the beauty of this is God's using a warning passage to sanctify his people, and you're one of them. Praise God. I mean, that's how he works. So what do we got? We, we have this, this, this acceptable, and, and, and the idea literally is very similar. It's the same word used in a passage you probably recognize. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. I mean, this is the attitude of the life that is by faith submitting to God, submitting to his voice, submitting to his word. And then he says, he is so wonderful. How should you respond in worship? He says, with reverence and with awe. The word reverence is the idea of it's devout. It's you recognize who you're in the presence of, right? And, and, and the word awe, it, it, it's, it's just you, there's a sense of who God is. Reverence for 
who God is. They're very closely related, reverence and awe. It's hard to mention one without referring to the other. But then he gives explanation in verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. This is such a marvelous verse. Because you read, you know, what we've been seeing. Exodus 24, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. You remember the judgment that he brought in number 16? And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Daniel 7, 9, and I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. And again this morning, how can we approach such a wonderful God in consuming fire? And the beauty is this. We can approach him because Christ became a curse for us. We can approach him because Jesus Christ took our place. I love this. It's the passage that, as we get ready to close this morning, that just echoes throughout the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know him this morning? Have you trusted in him? Have you believed on Christ? Because if you have not, if you refuse his voice, you will be consumed by him, friend. You will be judged eternally, and the eternal nature of your judgment is reflective of the degree of his majesty. You have literally trampled underfoot the son of God to refuse the grace that he's given in Jesus Christ. So this morning, what do we say? Listen, be grateful. Offer up acceptable worship. That's how the people of Zion live. You know, if we did a summary this morning of how we could just put this all into one phrase. It literally is the idea of as those who have been brought near to a kingdom that will never be shaken, we are called to listen obediently with thankful hearts and worshipful lives. Would you bow your head with me? Oh, Lord. Thank you for the purity of your word. Oh God, we thank you for the kindness that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I think sometimes it's passages like this that give us a little more understanding as to the wonder and the depths of the gospel that you've provided. And Lord, I pray, Lord, you forgive us for marginalizing your holiness. Lord, for maybe losing sight of who you are. But God, we thank you that we can approach you not in fear and trepidation, 
but we can come as sons and daughters and we can come with reverence and awe, but not as those who don't know you. We come as those who are children who've been brought near through the blood of the lamb. I pray today, God, you would help us to see how we're to live in this world, a world that is shakable, a world that is going to be destroyed, a world that is going to literally be replaced by new heavens and a new earth. I pray, Lord, we wouldn't have our allegiances in a kingdom that is shakable, but, Lord, in an unshakable kingdom. Lord, help us to see how that works itself out in our life. And I pray, God, that we would not only be listeners, we would not only be with those who take heed to your word and and run after it, but, Lord, our lives would be marked by gratefulness of the promises that you've given us in your Son. And, Lord, I pray we would see that it's out of that heartbeat that we offer up a sacrifice of praise, that we offer up a sacrifice of that which is acceptable as we see in John in spirit and in truth. We see a sacrifice that's offered up, Lord, according to your will. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the goodness of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'd stand with me this morning, Charlie's gonna be in the hallway this morning. Again, you know, uh, maybe you've been putting off. I sometimes hear people say, you know, I, 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 I haven't come to a place of like trusting Christ. That's for another day. But I want you to remember what we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And, and any type of non-response to the Lord is actually a response of moving harder away from him. Today, you may be thinking, man, the, the, the Holy Spirit is working in my heart. And, and I know that because I've never wanted to believe Christ like I have today. Today, trust in him. Believe on his promises. Whoever comes to him will not be disappointed. For by grace, you've been saved through faith and not out of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a free gift. It's not based on your work. It's in spite of your works, but it's based on the perfect, obedient work of Jesus, who was the perfect Lamb of God. And he promises forgiveness of sins to those who trust in him. So today, the good news for you if you're here and you recognize you're lost is that there's a perfect Savior who saves to the uttermost. And he saves those who recognize their brokenness in spirit. If you're here today and you're broken and you're humble and you're unable, look to the perfect Savior. He provides perfect atonement and perfect salvation. But Christian, maybe you can relate with me where you, you sometimes just get sidetracked and, and you sort of live maybe not submitting to the voice of God as in the word of God. And it's reflected by a lack of gratitude It's reflected by offering that which is not acceptable. Today, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Let's look to him. Let's be reproved and corrected and willing to be trained through the holy word of God by his precious Holy Spirit. And let's submit to him this morning afresh. As Mike plays, just go to the Lord. If you need to pray with someone, Charlie's available there in the hallway. Whatever it is, let's just, in an attitude of uh, submission to the Lord, let's chew on what we've read and prayerfully pray about our response.
Lord, thank you for your word. I pray as we leave, we would have hearts that hear in a way that honors you. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.